<laughs> Come on. We want to remind you again of a very important event that's coming up soon. You don't have a microphone. Uh, yeah. You were going to ask me questions. I, wasn't, uh, I didn't prepare com- What is coming up uh, pretty soon <laughs> that we need the entire church to sign up for? Well, the entire church? Married people, actually. <laughs> or people who are getting married in the next six months. You can do that, too. Uh, we have a dynamic marriage class coming up starting in January. And that will last for how long? Uh, nine weeks. For nine weeks. Every Sunday at 3.30 for nine weeks. Unless the Chiefs uh, get to the Super Bowl, <laughs> and then we'll figure something out. Well, we can work around it. So how many of these married folks do you think need to attend this? Uh, you know, 12 couples. Well, oh, that's <laughs> all we have room for. Okay. So the, the top 12 worst marriages, is that what we're saying here? So no, no, no. It's not, you know, it's not about having a, you know, you don't have to have a bad marriage to come to the class. In fact, I always used to hate this kind of stuff because Kim would be like, oh, we should do that thing. I'm like, what's wrong? Like, what are you saying? But it's not, it's not just if there's something wrong. It's, it's good either way. And you have, you and Kim have gone through the training. What, what would you say, as you went through the training to learn about this, what would you say to this congregation that really thing that stood out to you in the training? Well, it just gave us an opportunity. For me, personally, it just gave us an opportunity to really think about and think about each other and, and the things that um, make the other person happy and uh, just take an opportunity to, to focus on those things and say those things to each other, the things like that you don't always get around to saying or that you don't always get around to thinking about, things you take for granted. And, uh, it, I mean, it was just a little short weekend for us, but it was – really good how can people how can people get signed up for the class there is a paper right back by the um yellow jars thing vicky yes he's holding holding it up up in the air and there's already at least one name on it so you won't be the first there you go (laughs) better hurry and sign up quickly and it begins uh january uh 13th january the 13th and next week we have um right after so right after church next week um i'm not sure if it'll be in here or over there we haven't got that figured out yet but there'll be a short uh like place you can ask questions a short video about it um we can answer questions and just tell you what's going to be like the chiefs play thursday more about it <laughs> very good thank you very much how many of you guys have figured out what to do in marriage you figured out women and what to do let me see a show of hands uh, Ted is still on serious pain medication. (laughs) Never fear. Grandpa Sitters is here to help. And so I just put down some notes. So if you guys and girls, if you want to take notes, um, I think this will help. Because um, after after I get done with this, you'll probably want to run back and, and sign up for this uh, marriage seminar. So, women, uh, let me tell you, first of all, about guys, okay? We are very simple. We're not complex. We're not complicated. Three things. Number one, we need time alone away from you. We need time alone only with you. And we want to know what's for supper. Or possibly what time the game starts. That's it for us. Okay? 
I need time alone, time with you, and what's for supper. Now, guys, let me talk to you about women. Uh-uh. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm not through with women. <clears throat> Here's the deal. Uh, this, this will help you women. Humans only remember um, what they connect emotion to, right? If you, so if you're going about through life and, and you have an experience, if you don't connect an emotion to it, you won't remember it. Women are very good about this. Guys, not so much. So, uh, and by the way, guys, maybe one time a day will connect emotion to something so that we'll remember it. So we come home and, the, and our wife says, how was your day? And we say, good. What did you do today? Worked. Um, but then we will say something like this. Oh, but you won't believe it. I pulled into the church parking lot and there were six deer down there and they just stopped and they looked at me. And then on the way home, there was this, um, there was this dump truck that was turned over on its side, stuff all over the road. We had to get through there. It was real, it was real tough. And man, that was incredible. I could not believe that had happened. And your wife will say, well, why was he on that road? Some of you guys aren't laughing about this because... All right, women. Guys, here's what you have to know about women. I wrote it down this way. I'm going to read it to you. You have to learn how to listen. Can I get an amen? You have to learn how to listen, but you have to look her in the eyes while listening. And you have to learn how to make guttural sounds while looking her in the eyes without trying to fix it. You learn to say, hmm, wow, that's great. Hmm, that must have been tough. Now, learn how to listen, look her in the eyes, and learn how to make guttural sounds while looking her in her eyes without trying to fix it. And you will learn how to sit and listen to stories of kids and work and house and shrubs and boss and Christmas and dishwasher and furnace and the funny sound that the car engine's making. Am I right? And then you will listen to stories of shopping. And you'll listen while she describes the details of her purchase, the soft material, the lace, the fringe, the color, the designer, and the money that she saved in buying the purchase. (laughs) More than that, you're going to listen to the story of how the item was secured while shopping in a different department and how she overcame the sales clerk trying to say that she couldn't have the 25% off. So she called the manager over and pleaded her case until she won and now has the new pillow for the bed. And you say, wow, that's great. That's why you need his needs, her needs, and the marriage seminar that's coming up pretty soon. Because I believe it is God's greatest sense of humor in putting man and woman together to live as husband and wife. But it's also a great relationship. But you've got to know the rules. And the challenge is this. You have to learn what the other person's need is, not just what my need, my needs are, so that I can fulfill their needs. Okay? Enough of that. John, uh, Matthew chapter 7. Was that good enough? I'm just here to try to help. Here's what Jesus says. Go to the, go to the slide. Let's just read it. Are you ready for this? 
Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the, at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and then turn and they will tear you to pieces. 1972, Northeast Louisiana. I began going to school there in the second or third grade. It was shortly after... um, uh, the, the desegregation of schools in, in the town that, that, um, that I lived in. Now, we had moved from Oklahoma, so I didn't know anything about this, plus I'm too young. So I'm in class and at recess and, and playing around, and I noticed that quite often there were fights all over campus, elementary school, middle school, people that had different skin colors that couldn't get along, and they, and they fought all the time. And quite often I would find myself surrounded by some folks that were saying things to me and ready to start a fight. And I'll never forget the day that I had two that were standing there that were ready to um, take me out. When all of a sudden, flying out of nowhere, comes this blur. His name was Moses Beasley. And he was not the same color as I was. And he took out both of them. And said to them, if I ever catch you messing with Danny, touching him, whatever it is, you're going to have to answer to me. I said, wow, now this, this guy is, is, is still only about this tall, but he has muscles on top of muscles. He was born with muscles and could run. And all throughout elementary school and middle school and even into high school before we split up, he and I were best of friends. He always took care of me. And so in middle school, after the school was over, I lived close enough to walk to our house. But he rode the bus, and he was on the second bus schedule. So he hung around school for an hour or so. So he started coming to my house in my neighborhood. And we would play basketball, and we'd run around, we'd, whatever we did back in 1978 or so. And he would do this two or three times a week. One day my dad came to me and said, um, he said, I was just informed that there is a petition going around our neighborhood to get us removed from the neighborhood because you're bringing Moses over to our house. I said, oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to cause any trouble. And I, I said, so what do you want me to do? And I'll never forget what my mom and dad said to me. What we're going to do is we are going to continue to do the right thing and care for people and love them 
And if he wants to come over to our house, he's welcome anytime he wants to. And he did. And I've never forgotten that. It was Moses Beasley that taught me how not to judge. And so when I, when I moved back to Louisiana, we hadn't seen each other in 25 years. And so I got in touch with him. I said, hey, let's go to lunch. It's on me. And so we got together and we started talking. And we're telling all the war stories of growing up. And, and I said, Moses, um, wh- why did you take care of me all those years? Why, why did you protect me? He said, two reasons. He said, number one, I knew you were a preacher's kid and I knew you couldn't fight. <laughs> He said, but number two, he said, I loved you and I loved your family. And I knew they loved me. Jesus said, do not judge. Don't do it. Because when you judge, it's going to come back. It's going to boomerang back on us. I like the way that the, the um, message wrote this. Uh, go, go to the next slide. Here's the way that it's written. Don't pick on people or jump on their failures or criticize their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. The critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer that's on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you? When your own face is distorted by contempt. It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again. Playing a holier than thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your face and you might be fit And you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. See, here's the question. And by the way, if up until this point of the Sermon on the Mount, we haven't been practicing the other things that Jesus taught us, this one will be extremely difficult, if not impossible. The world that we live in right now is hypercritical. Of everything that's going on. Judgmentalism all over the place. Not able to even listen to another person because they're different from me. They believe something that I don't believe. They live in a certain part of the country or whatever. And Jesus is calling the church to be the model of how to love one another regardless of where we come from. So you see, here's the deal. In Jesus' time, you had, you had the Romans who were, in, you know, the, the, the ones that were in charge of the world. And, and so the Jews lived under their rule. And so it was easy to, for, for, for Romans to criticize and run down Jews. It was also easy for the Jew to look at the Roman and say, you know what? They're the worst. They're, uh, and, 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 and judge and criticize. But you also had Orthodox Jews who would look at these disciples of Jesus, and they would also criticize and judge, and vice versa. Right? Those Pharisees, 
And so it was a it was a day not unsimilar to the world that we live in today. There was a lot of a lot of um, a lot of things that happened in this particular world that were wrong to treat another person that way. You could say to some degree that they had a right to criticize and to judge. And here comes Jesus and says, don't do it. Don't judge another. And Jesus uses a little humor in this particular story. He said, here's what it looks like. You've got this telephone pole sticking out of your head that you're bumping into everybody you come in contact with. You're banging it on the walls as you walk around. But you still have the ability with a magnifying glass in your other eye to see a little bitty speck in someone else's eye. Do you understand how absurd we look, Jesus says, when we go around judging? So here's the question. Why is it that my dirt is never as dirty as your dirt? Why is it that my sin is never as sinful as your sin? You see, yours is worse. And that's the problem of this whole idea of judging other people. Go to the next slide. Douglas Hare writes this, The worst judgmentalism does not appear in all dictionaries, but it names a phenomenon we all know too well. Judgmentalism is a social sin. It is the habit of constantly finding fault with what others say and do. It is a disease of the spirit. The critic arrogantly assumes a superiority that entitles him or her to assess the failings of others and or to concoct those failings. See, so in in, in judging, I'm the one that's looking out, right? Mr. and Ms. Critical. They believe if, if they exist in the church, they believe that's their spiritual gift. You know, I'm just holier than thou and let me help you. I'm here to point out these things to you. Go to the next slide. In this passage, Jesus declares that the higher righteousness of the kingdom of God involves a resolute renunciation of our proclivity to judge others more harshly than we judge ourselves. Just as obesity can be cured only by persistent dieting, so the insidious self-indulgence of fault-finding can be mastered only by rigorous discipline. We have to work on it. It has to be in the forefront of our minds that that as we come in contact with people, especially in the kingdom of God, we've worked on our emotions, we've worked on how we view people, not as objects, but but as those who are created in the image of God, so that when we are together, we don't go about judging and nitpicking and complaining. Jesus said, don't do it. Look at what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2. And then we're going to, after we do this, we're going to talk about this, this concept. After it's, it's interesting, Romans chapter 2, Paul's just lambasted the Jew and the Gentile and he's, he, everybody. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he says this, you though, you have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. 
For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. And I will read that again. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you condemn or I condemn myself when I pass judgment on another. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, man, pass judgment on them, yet you do the same thing, do you think you're going to escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Catch, catch the message here. It's kind of secondary. That what God does to you and I is to lead us. It's His kindness that leads us to repentance. Why do we think by criticizing and judging someone else that that, that will do the work that God's trying to do in our lives? I would rather someone love me. I would rather someone put their arms around me. Say, sitters, let me walk with you through this. Instead of pointing the finger. Now, here are some of the words. Go to the next slide. That encompass this idea of judging. Because I know it's easy for us to sit out here and go, that's not me. I'm not. I don't, I don't judge. No, 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 not me. I've never done that. It encompasses these words and ideas. Condemnation. When we look at another and basically say to them or think this, may you be condemned eternally. I have no purpose for you in life, and neither does God. God condemn them. It also carries the idea of criticizing, just criticizing and fault-finding, finding all those little things. Well, you know, you need to, you should, you ought to. Well, that's not right. Fix this, correct that, on and on and on and on. It, it carries the idea of putting others down. But also within it is the idea of excluding or neglecting. Now, I want you to think about this. It's not necessarily that I go around and say, well, that, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with you or you. Or you've got issues. You've got things you need to work on. Sometimes it's seeing another and walking right past them. Not taking the time to say good morning. And it's just that quick. It's a mentality. And by the way, how I view one person is how I view all people. How I treat one person is how I treat all people. And within this realm of judging another, you see how this works. When I'm neglecting, I've looked at you and I've judged you and I have said, you are not worth my time. A judgment is made. Blaming, ignoring. Oh, and this, I, my job in life is to straighten you out, right? You're crooked and I'm going to straighten you out and I'm going to constantly be reminding you of those things that you need to straighten out. That's judging. Refusal to love. Forcing a solution on another. Oh, this one. Disappointment. I'm just disappointed in you. You just haven't figured out how to live your life 
as well as I am. Disappointed. We manage the other. This idea of you're not acceptable. My self-righteousness. You see, ultimately it's this, that when I judge means I separate. I'm separating. Right? It's me. No, you're not allowed in here. No, you, you can't be in here. It's just, you can come on in. Right? But, but there, and so we're separating. Right? We're called to be the body of Christ. Paul calls us that in Corinthians. The body functions, although it's many systems, it functions as one to, to, to accomplish what it was created for. When we judge, we're separating. Control, neglect, and projecting onto another. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. I'm telling you, I have to work on this. God forgive me of those times when I don't, but you watch television, you watch the news, you listen to songs, you listen to people talk, and you're just like, why can't people just be like me and figure this thing out? If people would be like me, believe like I do, live like I do, and think like I do, this world would be a great place. It's never going to happen. He says, stop judging. Because it's going to come back. It's going to land in your lap. So if you've ever had the thought, well, why are people just judging? Why are people critical of me? Why? Why? Here's a clue. It's because you've been critical and judgmental toward others. And it comes back on you. Now, here's what Jesus says at the end of this section in judging. Don't throw your pearls to the pigs. Don't throw this good stuff to the dogs because what they will do is they will trample on them, they'll stomp on them under their feet, and they'll come back and they'll get you. And I've always wondered exactly what he meant by that. And I think what Jesus is is calling us to do and, and, and asking us to become is this, spiritually mature to know when and when not to say something. So I tell my kids, now look, this is what you need to do, and this is how you correct your life, and this and that and the other, and my children are all adults now. Correct your life and do this and think this way and do that. And they look at me and go, Dad, I'm, I'm an adult now. I don't, I don't need that from you. I say, well, how dare they say that to me? Right? Some of us have gone around and we've tried to give all our pearls of wisdom to everybody we come in contact with. This is wrong and you need to correct that and you're not part of my group and that, you know, and, and work on this and get that done and, whoo, that's bad. And, 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 and we find ourselves alone quite a bit of the time. Say, so why don't people like me? Because we don't have a level of spiritual maturity. We don't have a level of discernment. Not to just go around and judge everybody and to tell them what they ought to think about. And in the world we live in today, we have to work on this. Here's the problem, okay? Here's the issue. Wake your neighbor up. Tell him, hey, he's, gotten to, he's finally gotten to the good stuff. When I judge another, I'm judging myself. See, judging others uh, blinds me from my own condition. In life, I have two options. 
I look at myself, I examine myself, I work on myself, I become, I grow, I learn to love, I learn to care. Or instead of dealing with myself, I come and deal with you. Now nod your head if this is making sense. Instead of dealing with myself, I want to deal with you. By the way, I'm very good. If you want to know, I'm very good at finding faults of others. I can do it. If you want to come sit in my, in my office, I'll pick out all your negative points. I'm good. I think it might be my spiritual gift, Mark. I mean, I'm just, I, I can do it. I've been offering that for about 25 years. Nobody's ever come to my office for that. They never have. I said, what in the world? It's my spiritual gift. See, I don't want to work on myself. I don't want to work on my emotions and my worldview and the way I see people and the way I think. I don't want to confess any of this and repent any of, uh, of any of this. I want you to. So it's a refusal to deal with myself. But maybe even more, it's dumping my baggage in your lap. Now, now think through this with me. Instead of dealing with my own baggage, I want you to deal with my baggage. And so I, I assume that that's what's going on in your life. And I, so I try to correct that. Jesus said, don't go around judging. Ultimately, I believe it's this. I'm just unsatisfied with myself. I don't believe I've lived up to my potential. I don't believe that I'm becoming everything that God has called me to become. I've let some people down. There have been opportunities that I haven't taken advantage of. And I'm just, I just, I ultimately can't find value in the love of God and the grace of God. And so. I'm unsatisfied with myself, so I take it out on you. Most people would never say that, though. I'm just trying to help them out. I love them so much that I'm going to tell them what to do 24-7. That's my gift. No, I don't need it. They need you to find your meaning in life through Jesus so that when you do throw your pearls of wisdom, it's the right time. And you bless others. Next slide. Serendipity prayer. You, you've heard the first line. God, grant me the serenity to, change, to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. But that's about as far as we ever get with the serendipity prayer. But there's a whole other paragraph. Change the slide, please. Living one day at a time. Accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world, watch it, as it is, not as I would have it. This world as it is, use people as you are. My family as they are, my spouse as he or she is. The world with all of the famine and the hunger and the terror and the war and the division as it is. I want to take it today as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that He will make all things right if I surrender to His will. 
that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with Him forever in the next. Amen. Learning how not to judge means I'm learning how to live in this moment. And I look at the person beside me and I say, I also turn you over to God. And I stop judging. I start loving. Allowing God to do His ultimate purpose, and that is to develop Christ within us. Not my job. Because when I judge, here's what it says. I take on the role of God in this world. Right? I take on the role of God. So I leave you with this story. There was an old man in a village, very poor. But even the kings were jealous of him because he had a beautiful white horse. Kings offered fabulous prices for the horse. But the man would say, this this horse is not a horse to me, it's a person. How can you sell a person, a friend? The man was poor, but he never sold the horse. One morning he found that the horse was not in the stable. And the whole village gathered and they said, you foolish old man, right? They're judging. You foolish old man. We knew that someday the horse would be stolen. It would have been better to sell it. What a misfortune. The old man said, don't go so far as to say that. Simply say that the horse is not in the stable. This is the fact. Everyone else, everything else is a judgment. Whether it is a misfortune or a blessing, I don't know because this is just a fragment. Who knows what is going to follow this? People laughed at the old man. They had always known that he was a little crazy. But after 15 days, suddenly one night the horse returned. He had not been stolen. He had escaped into the world. And not only that, but he brought a dozen wild horses with him back. And people gathered and they said, oh man, you were right. This is not misfortune. It is indeed an incredible blessing. And, and the old man said, again, you're, you're going too far. Just say that the horse is back. Who knows whether it is a blessing or not? It's only a fragment. You read a single word in a sentence. How can you judge the whole book? This time the people could not say much because inside they knew that he was wrong. Twelve beautiful horses had come. That's a blessing. The old man had only one son who started to train the wild horses. Just a week later, he fell from the horse and, and, and his legs were broken. And the people gathered again and again and they judged. They said, again, you're proved right. It was misfortune. Or we were proved right. It was misfortune. Your only son has lost the use of his legs, and in your old age, he's your only support. Now you are poorer than ever. This is terrible. The old man said, you are obsessed with judgment. Don't go that far. Say only my son has broken his legs. Nobody knows whether this is misfortune or a blessing. Life comes in fragments, and that's all you have. It happened that after a few weeks, the country went to war. 
And all the young men of the town were forcibly taken to the military. Only the old man's son was left because he was crippled. And the whole town was crying and weeping because it was a losing fight and they knew most of the young people would never come back. And they came to the old man and they said, You were right, old man. This has proved to be a blessing. Maybe your son is crippled, but he is still with you. Our sons, well, they're gone forever. And the old man said, You you keep going on and on, judging and judging. Nobody knows. Only say this, that your sons have been forced to enter into the army, and my son has not been forced. But only God, the total, knows whether it is a blessing or a misfortune. Judge not. Otherwise, you will never become one with the total picture that God has in mind. Judgment means a stale state of mind. And mind always wants judgment because, uh, because to be in process is always hazardous and uncomfortable. And he goes on to say this. Our life with God is a journey that has different moments and different segments and things that happen. And the only way to remain grateful, listen to me, not to judge. Learn to live. Learn to love. Learn to be grateful. So that we can function as the body of Christ. Dear God, help us as we practice this idea of not being judgmental. God, I confess my sin before you. Of the struggle that it is so often to look at another, to listen to another. And to think, oh, I'm so much better than that. Oh, I can correct their problems. God, help us to find our value in Jesus. Help us not to judge, but to love. And at the end of the day, thank you that you loved us enough to send Jesus so that we could be saved. That we could experience grace. And that we then could learn to forgive and love other people. Thank you for your example. Thank you for your trust in us. May we pass that on to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing the invitation song. If we can pray for you this morning, you can come to the front right now. I